2: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Hash on this fine Wednesday. You are watching on Coindesk TV and listening on The Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Azzi, Will Foxley. Zach Seward and Wendy O are here today. We got an awesome show ahead of us. So let's get Kraken. Zach, what do you got?
4: Oh, see what you did there. Very nice. We have a special guest here today on The Hash. (laughs) We don't do interviews a lot here on The Hash. So the few that we do are very special. We're joined today by Dave Ripley. He is the incoming CEO of Kraken, which is a top five crypto exchange in the world. How are you doing, Dave? Doing great. Nice to
1: be here with you guys today.
4: All right, man. Uh, we're just gonna get right to it. You got some big shoes to fill, Jesse Powell, longtime crypto OG. Why did he really step down, sir? What happened? What's going on over there?
1: <laughs> yeah, you're you're right about big shoes to fill. I mean, I, if you think about it, I mean, how many how many people out there have done more for the crypto industry than than Jesse? Obviously, built an amazing company as well at Kraken. You know, it's been a it's been a while for him. So 11 years since the founding of Kraken. And, you know, he's interested in taking a step up, as we're referring to it, and to become uh, the chairman of Kraken. You know, I think the company's at a a different level of scale, of course. You know, he really is an incredible zero-to-one leader, and he wants to, you know, kind of focus on a couple of more narrow areas, if you will, going forward. Namely industry advocacy, which is, you know, broader than Kraken itself. And then, uh, and then kind of, you know, think, think harder about kind of product innovation in in those areas.
4: Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm going to stick with you here, Dave. So my question is, the timing here is such that we're in the middle of a a bit of a downturn in the markets, a bit of a bear or biddle season, as the builders call it. As Mm -hmm. you step into this role, and to be clear, you've not yet assumed the CEO role. You're still looking for a CEO to fill your existing role. But as you step into this role, in this market environment how are you going about approaching that what's your view in these wintry months for making kraken a better experience for its users and potentially uh that next wave of crypto uh crypto investors
1: yeah yeah well great question you know so this isn't our first bear market by any means and it's definitely not mine either i've been through i call it this is the the third kind of significant bear market that that i've experienced and you know, at this point, I think we're built for this. It's not our first rodeo. We have done a lot of things over the history of Kraken, and and, and certainly my time here as well to prepare for the you know volatility and dynamic uh, aspects of the the crypto market. And so we're going in feeling pretty confident about this market. You know, truthfully, like the first bear market that I endured, I was I was like, oh dear God, what have I done with my life? But that was you know way back in 2015, and now here we sit in in 2022, and I think we're we're in a great position. We have an incredible team. We have a scalable product and operational uh, business. We have a strong balance sheet. Um, we've, you know, are, are generally over the long arc of history of, of Kraken, meaningfully profitable. And so we're in we're in a great position. We've kind of continued to hire uh, throughout uh, throughout this year. I mean, we of course are continually reassessing you know, hiring plans and in, in moderating growth appropriately to, you know, match what's best for the business. But I think we're, we're in great shape to kind of further strengthen and, and fortify the business during this period.
4: Sounds good. Last one for me before I dish the rock. I'm going to ask you about, you know, plans to go public, right? This has long been simmering over at Kraken. There's been some loose timelines about maybe entering <laughs> the public markets along with fellow crypto exchange Coinbase. Where do the IPO plans stand given market conditions? And given this change of leadership, is that still on?
1: Yeah. So no specificity on you know IPO IPO plans that we can we can share. It's actually one of the aspects of going public is that you know there's you're unable to share any specificity on on the actual plans for for doing so. For context, we actually haven't done a huge amount of uh, equity fundraising in in Kraken's history. We've done some, and we do have our eye set on doing you know, this being a meaningful part of the the business going forward, both private and public funding are out there for us. And I think, you know, we, we are definitely gearing up to kind of engage more and more with external investors in the coming years.
5: Dave, again, thanks for coming on The Hash. We don't do a lot of interviews, so this is great to snag your time. Appreciate it. Interested about company culture, Jesse definitely set a very loud tone about what he wanted mm-hmm. Kraken to be like. Curious if that's going to change with you coming into hellmanship here, or do you expect it to stay the same? What's your take on company culture?
1: All of the dynamic aspects of crypto, it's tough to say nothing, you know, nothing will ever change. But this is the one thing that I can say for certain will be you know, steadfast and we will you know, unwaver, be unwavering on, which is our, our mission our values in our culture. And so we did a lot of great work, you know, I was obviously incredibly involved in kind of defining that, you know, how we really see our mission and vision going forward, our values in our culture. And we think this is frankly a, a source of our, our success and source of our potential and success going forward as well.
3: Hey, Dave, I'm curious about your vision for the company as you step into the CEO role. So. We've seen a lot of MA in the space. We've seen exchanges look, you know, NFTs offering banking services. What's your vision as we kind of get through the bear market?
1: Yeah. So a few different things. So we're absolutely, of course, bullish on, on the crypto space. We think that, you know, innovation is going to continue. We've seen some kind of significant breakout innovations over the past handful of years, DeFi, and then followed by you know more significant adoption of a number of different use cases for nfts and so from my perspective uh in the coming years we're going to kind of enter an interesting period where a number of these different use cases you know reinforce each other and that's like where i think we hit escape velocity so you know borrowing an example from the internet um you know e-commerce online media email they're all more valuable given that the other technologies and innovations exist so with e-commerce, you can use email to communicate with customer support. And much the same. Now you can use digital art in a, as collateral in a DeFi contract. Well, maybe not exactly just yet. There are a couple early use cases and, and potentials to use that. But I you know, call it you know, several years from now. I think that these kind of reinforcing use cases that are going to come together are going to be even more significant. Where does Kraken sit in all of this? Sorry to get to your question. We've historically been a bridge from kind of the tradfi world to crypto, and we're looking to kind of continue that as our our main contribution to the ecosystem. But we're going to look to like build that bridge deeper and deeper into the most exciting and, and interesting different use cases within crypto.
3: Do you have your sights set on any acquisitions?
1: We do. We do. Of course, we're you know can't you know disclose all of the specifics or company names or anything like that. For M&A. But, you know, generally, I think where we've focused M&A more recently has been on the uh, you know, new product and technology and innovation side. So, you know, much the same as what I just described. Our biggest acquisition to date was a company staked. They provide, you know, staking infrastructure. We jumped out fairly early in the staking uh, services space. And that acquisition really helped us, you know, fortify our, our technology and our infrastructure in, that, in that, that space. We now, you know, via that acquisition, support 30 plus uh, different tokens for staking service globally. And we've brought a lot of that technology in-house. I think, you know, another area that, you know, as you, you probably know, we've announced we're going to be launching our NFT marketplace in the not too distant future. And so this would be another area where we're looking for you know, M&A opportunities, maybe not directly for that marketplace, but, you know, different NFT technologies in and around that kind of center platform. So I think that's like where you'll see us look generally. So we're all ears if some folks have new, exciting product and tech and innovations that, you know, that are in the crypto sphere.
0: Pleasure to meet you, Dave. I've got a question about how Kraken plans to, I guess, navigate these murky waters with current regulators in the United States.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a broad one, but not to mention the rest <laughs> of the globe as well, right? Yeah. I think we've continually seen evolving regulations. We're even you know, now seeing more and more at the lawmaking level as well. And so just operationally and structurally, what are we doing? I mean, we invest enormously in this space. You know, so we have a legal team led by Marco Santori, one of the, I mean, just you know, absolute you know, top um, and most experienced individuals in the the intersection of, you know, legal policy, regulatory and crypto that leads our team. We also built out a policy team recently. This is a group that kind of works on the forward looking uh, engagement with both regulators and lawmakers. And so that team is now 10 plus. Marco's team overall is 50 plus. And then, of course, as we get to market with all different types of products and services, uh, you know, we have our our core compliance team is close to 300 and then we have another 300 plus, you know, across operations kind of working in and around compliance. And so it's really a significant part of investment for us. I think, you know, for where we sit in the ecosystem, being this bridge from TradFi to to crypto, I think it's really it, it's fundamental for us and it's critical that that we have this and do this. I think, you know, as we see, there's more and more regulators coming into the fold. Once upon a time, it was just this one treasury called FinCEN. Um, and now we have many other regulators in the U.S. that are getting involved in crypto CFTC, of course, the SEC, a number of these others. And so we're you know looking to proactively engage with with all of them. And, and we, we have been.
0: Well, if you need right, help James, in California, Wes? please drop me a line.
4: Okay. sounds great. Resident Californian over here. Just FYI, good stuff. Uh, All right. Last question for me, Dave, as we wrap this thing up, I want to go to the culture, the crypto culture. Now, whether fairly or not, I think of Kraken as sort of like the exchange for Bitcoin maxis. I don't know if you subscribe to that view, but obviously of late, you guys have done a lot of interesting (laughs) stuff with a lot of other networks. You mentioned staked, right? Providing staking rewards across a plethora proof of stake blockchains. Are you a Bitcoin maxi? Mm-hmm. Does Bitcoin maximalism <clears throat> prevail at Kraken? Culturally, where does Kraken fit within the broader exchange ecosystem?
1: Well, we affectionately call our team Krakenites. And we have a number of Krakenites that, that sit on both sides, you know, that are Bitcoin maxis and, and some, that, some that aren't. Kraken as a company, we are very supportive of the multi-token. And we, of course, list, you know, two, 200, 200-ish tokens on the platform. We're excited about, you know, new innovations in, in different parts of the ecosystem. And we, we kind of view ourselves as being impartial to these various different technologies. And so I think that's where we sit as a, as a company in the, the space. I would say that kind of you mentioned culture and in, in, in values and so forth. Like, yeah, our culture and values are predicated on kind of what we refer to as crypto values, the, you know, economic freedom, inclusion, equality, global perspective. All of these things are very much like how we define ourselves as a, as a company. I think that's true. You know, a lot of those values are pervasive among Bitcoin, but then just more broadly across crypto. So given we have that view on the, the space and we think we have a lot of people that have been in crypto for a long time, I think we, we do have a lot of maybe OG crypto individuals as clients. But I don't know if we necessarily have more Bitcoin maxis as clients. Perhaps that could be. All right, we will leave it there and we'll dig into, uh, you know, the ethnography
4: of Bitcoin uh, maximalism at a later date. But thank you for touching on that, Dave, and thanks for spending some time with us here on The Hash. This is Dave Ripley. He's the incoming CEO of Kraken. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Dave.
4: All right, Wendy, I'm tossing to you.
0: Well, speaking about regulations, guys, California regulator targets 11 crypto trading desks operating like Ponzi's. So yesterday, which I didn't hear about this until today, my goodness, and I'm from LA County. Um, but yesterday, California's Department of Financial Protection and Innovation filed a cease and desist order against 11 crypto firms. I actually looked at these 11 crypto firms. I have no idea who any of them are. I've never heard of them in my life. So maybe they were being dishonest. DFPI alleges the firms were either dishonest with customer funds or violated state security laws. They say each entity allegedly offered and sold unqualified securities. 10 of them also made material representations and emissions to investors. The regulator also alleges that each firm used investor funds to pay profits to other investors in a manner of Ponzi schemes, which is kind of interesting because the banking system in California and all over the United States also does this. But yeah, I'm curious to see how this is going to play out, even though we had Gavin Newsom veto AB 2269. I think I want to toss this over to Jet.
3: Well, Wendy, when I read this, if all of these things are true that are being said and verified, it sounds like a Ponzi scheme. But again, I didn't also know any of the companies that were listed here. And a lot of these statements, it feels like are up to interpretation. And so I would love to see more information. I would love to see why these statements are being made and some hard examples. You know, Governor Newsom recently called for something very similar to Hester Peirce's safe harbor proposal. And I think that the conversation needs to come back to, to that, right? Like, are there regulatory frameworks that allow crypto companies to kind of experiment and get to where their milestones are going? I think we need to have the conversation there because if we start applying laws that are already in existence that don't really fit how crypto companies build and operate, we're going to find ourselves in this same situation. And so I just, I don't, I want more information on this story. Zach, what do you think?
4: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. These are alleged bad actors. So we'll call them alleged bad actors. And let's just think of them as alleged bad actors here. Gavin Newsom, to his credit, is thinking through these things at least, right? He wants to find a framework that can support uh, crypto innovation while also weeding out alleged bad actors. So to me, it's gotta be a combination of both, right? It's gotta be, all right, cool, crypto industry, we hear you. We're trying to try to stand up some frameworks that can make it work for us mutually, but also for just like outright alleged scams, yeah, shut that shit down. Seriously. I don't think there's any room in the space for it. Crypto has a bad enough reputation as is. So to get these sort of alleged bad actors, again, alleged bad actors, out of the space is a good thing. If you can clear the underbrush the california wildfire that burns down the Ooh. entire industry will be lessened you got to get that fuel <laughs> out of the it. way so that it doesn't burn it all down clear the clear the underbrush keep the redwoods okay that's all i'm saying <laughs> here we love trees i'm tossing it to will
5: that was a very dad take i uh, i appreciate it zach love love the references there I sort of agree with you, but I also sort of don't because what is a bad actor? And there's some cases where you really know, right? But but a year ago, I don't know if anyone would have called uh, Doquan a bad actor. In fact, a lot of people thought he was a great innovator in the space. And then in May, everyone changed their opinion. And now they really don't like him. And they're cheering on as Interpol is sleuthing around the globe for him, right? So we don't really know until we know. And that's the tough part. One question I actually have for the group, and I don't know if you guys have thought about this or have any inputs on it. It's odd when we see these state actions against these, quote-unquote, decentralized global cryptocurrencies or crypto projects, these NFT projects. Ostensibly, anybody can touch this anywhere on the globe, yet we see one state going after it here, California. But this happens for so many other projects, right? Like BlockFi was targeted by Vermont, Texas, Alabama. Saw the same for Nexo just a few days ago. Like these things are very much so international, yet we only see like uh, enforcement on a state level, sometimes the SEC gets involved. So it's a little bit odd to think about it in that sense. Say like, oh, this one jurisdiction doesn't like my project, so can anybody else use it? And what are the repercussions for continuing to use it, even if I'm not in California? Maybe I'm a U.S. citizen that lives here in Colorado. Might not really matter for me. Maybe I'm outside the U.S. I don't know. Zach, I'll punt it back up to you for your take on it really quick.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's no good like consumer protection frameworks yet, right? So these are, these are state securities regulators are, who are saying, hey, these products touch my citizens. I'm going to take action in an effort to, quote unquote, protect them, right? And I think that that in a global permissionless environment is a really tenuous framework. So hopefully, uh, as states and governments at the federal level, think about how to, again, make a supportive framework for the good things of crypto, hopefully that can be sort of sussed out. Where do the jurisdictional issues really fall? Is it where these things are ostensibly based? That's also tricky too, right? Or is it where they're ostensibly used? So I think that again, these are not systems that neatly fit into existing frameworks for regulation. And as such, we see some of these clunky regulatory actions uh, that manifest themselves in enforcement or other things along the road. But this is part of that process toward getting this—I don't know—industry to that next level, in my view, personally. But I got to give Wendy the last word because I think I think she's got a fire take a brewing. Wendy.
0: I think at this point, they're just pulling names out of a hat and then they decide who they (laughs) want to target because it's really, it's really, it's honestly not concise. It's not concise. And we have, you know, we've got the different states and everybody has these different gripes with all these different cryptocurrency companies or these DeFi protocols or whatever it is. Like, I just want to see some more clarity so people can get back to work.
4: You're here. All right. That was good stuff. Good opening segment, team. We really killed it. We had an interview, we talked about California, and we shouted out the Redwoods.
6: Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies, and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome, and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cam's, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.
2: Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code hash20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinestcom forward slash ideas.
3: We are going to get into some NFT chat. NFT trading volume is down 97% since January, and that's according to a Bloomberg report, but builders are still doing their thing. FTX Ventures and Jump Crypto led a $20 million raise for an executable NFT wallet. The wallet is being developed by Solana developer Coral and will give users ownership of application code. So a lot to unpack here. I'm only just starting to learn about XNFTs. We can get into a little description of my understanding of it, but Will, I'm going to toss it to you first. What do you make of these executable NFT wallets?
5: First time I've heard of it also, so I'm still trying to piece it together, but it makes sense, right? You want to be able to own the whole stack of whatever you're working on. And these XNFTs are at least attempting to do that. We'll see if it works out. Still looks like it's early innings, right? They only just did this raise for $20 million, so hopefully they can figure that all out. I want to go back to the NFT data we had there is down 97% trading volume, according to a new Bloomberg report, which is notable. Maybe this is the last dying breath of this NFT bull cycle, but I've called it wrong twice before. So, you know, maybe it just pops up up tomorrow. Who knows? (laughs) NFTs were the story, I think, of the last bull cycle, as much as like Bitcoin pumped, as much as a lot of other projects pumped, I think most people will look back on the 2021 bull cycle as the NFT bull cycle. And to see that it's down so far during a very bad macro headwind tells you that things might be quiet for quite a while. Uh, For all NFT fans out there, I hope you secured the bag. Good for you. I did not. Rip to me. Zach, gonna throw it over to you, get your take on the story.
4: Yeah, it's a pretty disappointing chart. You know, I think like a lot of NFT people were like, yeah, NFTs are going to, you know, they're going to decouple from like the crypto price chart. But I mean, that pretty much was like just the Ether (laughs) price chart, right? So people, they love the price. They love the coins. They love the numbers. And maybe they don't love the art and the culture so much. And that to me is a little disappointing because I honestly thought there might be a little bit more robust long tail out of the highs of last November. Alas, that chart does not support it. But hey, Builder's going to build. Maybe they'll be there for the next wave, riding those X-NFTs to new highs. I don't know. What do you think, Wendy?
0: I think that the NFT culture is a lot more community-orientated than crypto culture. And it's actually very interesting to see these groups divided. I will say, though, that NFTs are really, really, really in beta. We haven't seen the real use cases truly come out yet, and that's okay because it was essentially their first cycle. So I think the next bull run, we're going to see a lot of growth. We're going to see a lot of really, really cool creation when it does come to NFTs. But again, we do have to be patient. We are in a bear market. There's not a whole lot of interest. A lot of people aren't talking about crypto. A lot of people aren't talking about NFTs. We've seen a lot of creators kind of fall off the face of the earth, unfortunately. And that's going to kind of coincide what's happening with the market. So if you're in crypto now, you're in NFTs now, just stick it out and focus on communities that resonate with you that you like and of course do your due diligence good things will come to the nft space
5: let me snag it really quickly i agree with you that nft is about the community rich together poor together well i want to go back to one thing that zach brought up which is like the eth basis for a lot of these tokens right so if you denominate all these nfts in eth they're actually not down a ton right but eth itself is down a lot in usd terms so i've seen this kind of floating around twitter i've seen it floating around nft spaces like no, empty market is not down. Trading volumes are still there. It's just all denominated in Ether. But I think that most part, people really care about USD and people will continue to care about USD. As much as like we like Ether, as much as we want the world to transition to this digital asset age where we denominate things in Bitcoin or denominate things in Ether, that world doesn't exist. People want the monkey JPEG because they want it to be worth a certain amount of money. And that does not exist anymore. That was six months ago. That was 12 months ago. But we'll leave it there and we'll turn it over to something else, a little lunacy. Mike Novograd speaking at Token2049, talking about the crash of the Terra Luna ecosystem, saying that, yes, you should have probably cashed out. If a token went from 20 cents to 100 bucks, you should have taken some profits along the way and done some nice due diligence. Hard not to agree with him, hard not to also look at these comments and be like, eh, probably not the best thing to say. Here's some other interesting thoughts in this. Uh, article you can take a read on Coindesk, including saying that he was more upset with Suzu and the Three Arrows debacle than he was with Terra Luna, also more upset with Celsius than he necessarily was with Terra Luna. He saw Terra Luna more as just like a, a failed project, one that went belly up, as opposed to Suzu and these other financial gurus who more or less were gaming the system and not disclosing things properly.
4: Zach, I want to throw this one over to you, get your take on it. We got some real good like side-eye things going on when you were saying that. So um, yeah, there's. I think this is going to be a good one. I'm tempted to say like this is a bit of, I don't know, revisionist history. And it is also kind of one of those smirky articles that it's like, hey, this is the guy with the Luna tattoo telling you this. So I feel like that is probably like the meta the meta reality of why this story exists because it's it's rich it's rich like that this is not the first time he said these comments i mean he said something similar to me on stage over a consensus in june hey you know take those profits off the table you're not gonna hold all till the end of time it's not gonna always go up you gotta take the profits off the table when you can so i think that is something that he has consistently been saying but yeah i i, I don't know wendy knows what do you think wendy
0: well, first and foremost, tattoo removal is not only expensive, but it hurts more than getting a tattoo. <laughs> Second, I'm going to say this again. If you're in profit, you need to take profit, okay? And you make a moon bag. It's when you remove your initial investment, you remove some profit, and then you simply vibe with your moon bag or do whatever you want to do with it. But him making comments, kind of defending his position against these other bad actors is kind of ridiculous. Like I do think that Do Kwan Probably was a bad actor. I mean, we have Interpol after him. There's all these different things that are coming out, the movement of funds. So to sit here and defend one person and not kind of put them in with the other bad actors is a little whatever. But at the same time, it is crypto and people are going to have their own opinions. But I still will be happy to give the side eye and mom look like that.
3: When I read this statement, it made me so upset. Of course, when you have profit, you should take profit off the table. But I just want to be the person on the show that says financial literacy is not taught in school. And so many of people who lost money come from minority communities, you know, come from communities where maybe they didn't learn investing strategies from their parents. And so for people like this to sit at the top, sit on their high horse and say, you know, you should have known to take money off the table when you're the CEO of a company like this, just again, feels out of touch. I think it's the thought leaders, the people who we call experts in the space, responsibility to educate people so that everyone can operate responsibly. And so it was sad to read that. But Will, what do you got?
5: Yeah, really quick take here is I think that the lines get blurred from who is who during a bull market. So Mike Novogratz is mostly a trader, right? He runs a huge crypto bank uh, Galaxy Digital, and they trade a lot of tokens, right? And I think people were looking at him during the bull cycle more of like this developer, or more like this picker who's going to pick winning projects. When more or less, like that, that's part of his, like his resume, but also it's a trading firm, right? So I think during the bull cycle, we can really get confused about who does what, and we buy into the wrong people, just like we bought into the super cycle theory, right, with Suzu guy's like a trader. Like his background, Suzu's background was totally trading. And, you know, he made the wrong bet at the end, but a lot of people along the way bought into what he was picking, bought into whatever project he was talking about, bought into Ether, bought into Avalanche because it was the, t- the topic that he was on for that day. And by the end of the day, he's trading, right? So he's probably going to be trading against you. So no shame to these people. They're doing their business and their job. I just think it's really important for people to what information they're getting from those certain people. Going to throw it up to you, Wendy, for your last take.
0: Kind of closing this out, I want to say you shouldn't listen to anybody on the internet. Do not listen to me. Do not listen to anybody on this panel. You can hear what we say, and then you can take what you hear. You can do your due diligence. You can use critical thinking. You can research, educate yourself, and then listen to yourself. I think that there's a big, big problem with the internet that people look to other people for the end-all be-all news. When we're talking about crypto, we're supposed to be operating in a true decentralized economy and people are supposed to be responsible for their own actions. I do understand that we weren't taught traditional finance in school. We weren't taught how to invest or take profit. And I come from that part of that demographic. But at the same time, we do have to do better as far as getting people excited about self education and pushing that out to them. That's what I focus primarily on on my channel. But at the same time, hearing somebody like that comes from this place of knowing how to invest and being a savvy investor the conversation didn't necessarily sit right with me.
4: Well said, let's wrap it there. That was a good show today. I oh, we touched on a lot of good stuff. Good job, everybody. All right, that was The Hash for Wednesday, September 28th. We will be back Thursday, September 29th. I'm Zach Seward, that's Wendy O. We've got Jensen Assey, Will Foxley, we're The Hash. We come to you every day, every weekday, that is, and get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto. Check us out over on the podcast network. If you like listening to stuff, that is a good way to do it. And also, if you're watching here, that's cool, too. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We appreciate you as always, and we hope that you have a great day. We'll see you soon. Bye.
2: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network.